Good morning, everybody. It is Wednesday, and we are halfway through the week with this week's BBO show. Harminder is on screen. There you are. Hello. There I am. Hello, hello, hello. Hi, Kyle. Harminder, who's just singing to himself, thinking I definitely can't hear him. Oh, I thought you couldn't hear me. So, yeah. so I started talking about, I sent Kyle privately. We, we, we use a streaming software, as you can see, and I've just seen a really cool one that's popped up. Uh, I haven't seen it before, so I sent that to Kyle earlier. Yeah, for some bizarre reason, I can hear you. You cannot hear me just before going live. Um, uh, so I wonder if the audience can hear me. No, they can't. They can't. Maybe because so Harminda said, "Oh, I found a great streaming software." Oh, he can't hear me. Oh well. Do 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 do. Yep, I can hundred percent hear. That's where could we are. Could have been a lot worse. Oh, it could have been a lot worse. Guy. <laughs> guy was oh. Oh. God, I can't believe I've got to do a show with Carl again every single day. At, like, it could have been at 9 a.m. So, I mean, it gets me out of bed. So, that's a big win. Now, let's focus in on what we're talking about today. And that is writing sales emails and getting your sales emails to fit into the infrastructure that we spoke about. And I'm changing language today. I'm calling it infrastructure. But essentially, this is a campaign. And if you remember, the campaign makes part of this larger system, which is email marketing. That's what we're discussing this week. So we yesterday we spoke about nurture emails and why nurture emails are important to build a relationship, trust, likability, et cetera, et cetera, beforehand, before we present people with the sale. But we're not adverse to the sale. We are a business. We have products and services to sell. So let's now sell them. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're assuming that you've built your written, your nurture emails based on the suggestions and advice yesterday. Now, naturally, after those th first three nurture emails that we guided you through and recommended you start with that as a basis, you can have 20 as Carl has within his business. You can have unlimited as somebody like Ty Lopez has within his business. But the key here is now to lead them on when right to introduce a sales email. And that's what we discussed yesterday. The assumption is that the lead, the leads, the potential customer is getting warmer and warmer and warmer. The warmer they get, the more ready they are, open they are to receiving a sales email and actually going ahead and making a purchase. So that's the key. How do we now convert leads into customers? And that's going to be the focus of today. So, yeah, this is a big topic. We have at least covered the basics of email marketing and how we put together uh, emails when we talked about nurture emails yesterday. So we're going to assume, as Hans just mentioned, that you've already gone through that process. Um, at least make sure you've listened to the, the class from yesterday because we're going to be building on that knowledge today. This is a big topic, sales emails. So what we're going to do, like we did yesterday, is give you a set of basic emails you can use. Again, we're going to go for three three emails which can be used as a foundation um, that you can adapt, you can extend, you can do a lot more with. Um, but instead of overwhelming you with every type of sales email you can do, and this is what I started to do when I started to write this script, um, we're going to give you three, three solid emails that you can send which will help you sell pretty much any product or service. Um, and then uh, from there, you can expand and you can do more. Absolutely. So today's main emails that we're going to covering with you is a focus of three. And those are a problem email, a change email, and thirdly, a solution email. Now, the problem email is going to be reminding your lead, the warmish customer, what problem they have. Just reminding that, them that this is a problem and they have it and just relating to them on that level. The next thing is a change email, showing and demonstrating slash describing to them that change is possible. And finally, the third one is the solution, which is where you offer your product and service as the solution. Now, these will be three different individual emails that we send to the lead. And essentially, we're taking the lead on a journey. We're taking them through explaining to their problem, uh, presenting to them that change is possible, and then finally presenting them the solution. Yeah, absolutely. It's very important to realize these are individual emails. They're not all being clumped together. So imagine these emails as arriving two or three days apart from one another. And we are drawing the lead um, through this process, through this journey. So up to now, they've been receiving primarily nurture emails. They've been receiving lots of content and value. And now we're starting to uh, transition them towards the sale. 
Mm, absolutely. And if you're thinking about, okay, so what do I sell? Mm. If you've been following along at all for the BBO show, you'll understand things that we've discussed, such as the business section as part of the baton model. And within that, we talk about creating a value ladder for your business and taking your customer on a journey. And that means not presenting them with your expensive thousand pound product straight away. Instead, what we want to do is allow them an entry point. So at this stage, of course, it's up to you. You can test and you can present your customer with whatever sale you want. But at this stage, we want to ideally present them with your lowest cost offer. Now, if your lowest cost offer is a thousand pound, you may want to tune into some of the previous BBO shows to understand how to create products that um, precede this particular expensive offer, the things that are maybe $5, $10, $50, $100 that we can present them to the lead earlier. So think of this as a lower cost entry product as what we're going to be selling as part of these three email combos, these three individual email combos. Yep. So these three emails can be used with any of your products, but for now, start with your lowest cost, and then we can apply the same model uh, further down the line as we escalate. Right, should we jump into the first email? The yeah, let's go for it. So the first email is the problem email. Yeah. So if you've been with us for a while, if you've watched um, the BBO show before, you know how we approach business. We consider business and we define business as a process of creating value for a market and then being paid in exchange for that value. How do we create value? How does a business create value? We solve people's problems. We identify what problems the market has and we create solutions. The solutions are our products and our services. So the whole thing is about creating value by solving problems. This problem email is tapping back into this fundamental of what business actually is. The baton system that we teach, remember that's business, audience, tribe, offer, and network, is all built around problem solving, identifying the problems and solving the problems. So this problem email, if you've been following along, um, you should already have a very definite problem statement for what it is that your, um, your leads and your customers need your help, your business's help with solving. And, and ultimately, look, we know people on our list who've subscribed to this list have a problem that we can solve. How do we know this? Well, as part of the Baton system, we know that they engaged within our potential solution because of the Baton model. They, they believe in the idea that we're presenting to them in terms of the problem that we can solve within the business section. We have attracted their attention via the audience section. We've said, hey, this is about us. Um, maybe we should you know, further connect, follow, subscribe to my email, etc. Now in the tribe section is when we actually present them with this email marketing campaign and uh, turn them into the audience that maybe you know they're floating around, they're interested in us into a tribes person, which means they have exchanged value for email and they're now within our tribe. So they've given us permission to talk to them directly about this problem and potential solutions. So essentially, they it, keeping it really simple, they would not have given us their email address if they weren't interested in us, the brand, and the solution that we have to offer for their particular problem. That's why they're here. And if you remember in the business section, we focus on a problem statement. And I know we're referring to things in the past, but we do recommend you go tune into those because if you're starting your email marketing campaign and you don't have these things in place, this part becomes a lot more difficult. So it becomes a bit ad hoc, whereas we can assume that we've got a business and an idea, we're solving somebody's problem, we've attracted their attention, they're now in our tribe, and they're giving us permission to hear what we have to say. That's the place that we want to be. So that's important. And importantly, that's why we are covering um, email marketing, where we're covering email marketing. We've already done all these foundational steps. We've identified what problems they had. We've produced and delivered content, talking about these problems and showing them that we have a solution and then bringing them into the fold, into the tribe by collecting their email. We've done all this foundational work so that we can get to this point where moving towards the sale becomes a lot simpler um, mm. because we know the core of their problem and we know that we as a business can solve that particular problem 
And we're going to solve that particular problem by now presenting them a first entry level low cost offer as part of these sales emails. And in regards to, you know, focusing it back on the actual problem, you know, we don't have to market to them. We don't have to sell to them uh, based on a negative uh, mechanism or based on fear. In fact, we don't recommend this as the case. We recommend doing it from a place of abundance, a place of aspiration. So for this first email, this first problem email, we actually recommend that it's content based. So instead of talking about how um, they must purchase this from a place of fear, and let me try to give you an example of that in regards to let's assume what's a, what's a product. Okay, so let's say, for example, right, we've got Carl's Chinese business. So there's one way we could highlight their problem, which is um, you will lose money in business if you are unable to speak Chinese. Now, that's fear based. Mm -hmm. okay, that's a fear based statement. So that's not the way we want to do it. Instead, let's flip down his head and talk about the problem in regards to value, aspiration, and by presenting content. So how can we do this, Carl? Sure. So I think using uh, the Chinese example is quite useful here. We can talk about the problem without necessarily using fear, as you said. Um, we can talk around the problem. All that we're trying to do here is remind our readers, oh, yeah, this is something I'm trying to fix, or this is something I'm trying to solve. We don't need to go heavy-handed with it because we, we know they already have this this issue so we're not trying to convince them of that we're just trying to remind them of that and it's slightly different um, but it means we can be lighter we can be a lighter touch i think um a concrete example using the chinese uh so i run a website and i help people to learn chinese to read and write chinese in particular the final product my uh, so my final product is a seven hour course that teaches people a method of learning the chinese characters that's what I'm trying to sell eventually. The problem statement, therefore, for me and my market is learning to read and write in Chinese is difficult. And I think that's a fair problem statement. A lot of people uh, who are learning Chinese and people who are not learning Chinese know this to be true. Um, so my solution that I offer as a business is, all right, this course is going to give you a method that's going to make the process of learning to read and write Chinese easier and simpler. That is the solution. So I do have a few of these kind of problem-based emails in my email sequence, uh, but again, they're not saying, "Hey, if you don't learn Chinese, you, you won't. You, your business will not survive. You're a loser." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why can't you speak Chinese? Your kids yeah. need to speak Chinese. Yeah. I don't go that any. Like, Otherwise, I'll be left behind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. None of that nonsense. Instead, I have um, content-based emails. For example, like sending people blog posts on the top seven mistakes that learners uh, make when learning to read and write in Chinese. So that's focusing on the fact that, okay, people, lots of people are learning to read and write Chinese, but they make mistakes. Let's identify some of those mistakes and then help you to move through them. But it is focusing on the problem. It's focusing on the mistakes that they have. Or uh, another one is, are you making these three errors when learning Chinese? And again, that's focusing on errors and mistakes. Um, and then one that I really like, I prefer this is this is more positive, is um, what I wish I knew when I first started to learn Chinese. So that's very, that's a much more positive one. But again, you're focusing on what went wrong in the early early process, which you then learned from, and you um, or I um, mastered eventually. So these are all mm. great ways of reminding people of their particular problem. Fantastic. So what we're doing here with that example is we're helping people diagnose what they're struggling with. We are highlighting this, we're reminding them of this because they joined us to provide a solution, but we know people are um, lazy is just not a term. They're just busy. You know, mm. they're doing lots and lots of things. They've always wanted to learn Chinese or they've always wanted to solve this problem. So by sending them this email off the back of our nurturing relationship emails, we're now just saying, look, we know that uh, people who follow this um, this particular email newsletter or they've subscribed to this particular service have a problem. And what we're doing here is we're not selling them something, although this is a sales email, we're not selling them something within the first email. What we're doing is we're merely queuing them up. And a, a NLP term is known as pre-framing. What we're doing is pre-framing the offer. And the way we do that is by describing or highlighting the problem, bringing their mind back to the problem at hand, 
And then we start. Then we're going to actually present them with an offer mm. via these next two emails. So and that's the way we do it. Think of the flip side. The flip side, which is what normal uh, email marketing does, is just to send an offer. But if you're not already thinking about that problem, you are not necessarily thinking you need a solution to that problem. So instead, we're using the preframing to get them um, into a space where they are starting to realize, oh, okay, yeah, this is something I need to fix, or this is something I need a bit of help with. Mm, absolutely. So now we now we've nailed that first one. The first one is um, the the first one is in. I'm just bringing up the a note here. Is it is the problem email? But one of the questions, Carl, is before we move on to the next one is how you know how do we actually produce this content? So you said, for example, top seven mistakes learners make when learning to read read and write Chinese, um, or what I wish I knew. So. Is that, do you put that content in the email or can we link out to that content? What's, what do you do within your business? It's a very good question. Um, so how do I create that content? That content would have been created before because um, I'm linking to uh, previous resources. However, in this particular case, I would put that content into the email. Um, my call to action here or my objective is not necessarily to get someone back to my website. If they go to the website, great, that's fine. That's a bonus. But the main objective with this email is just to queue them up. It's just that pre-framing. So we want to make it as easy as possible. And we do that by having the content in the email body itself, rather than having a call to action, sending somebody over to a website. Great. And think of it from the customer journey or the lead journey experience. It means they don't have to go anywhere. They can get the they can get their problem highlighted directly within the inbox, which is pretty cool. Now, okay, so we've nailed the problem email. That's the first one we're focusing on content. We're focusing on highlighting, describing their problem, but providing value at the same time. So providing information at the same time, that's the key. And that's very much in sync with the nurture relationship building emails. So it nicely ties in. And that takes us to the second email. So what we've done is we've highlighted the problem, but now we're gonna also describe to them that change is possible. So we're not just going to highlight the problem and leave them there and say, hey, you've got a problem. We're now going to show yeah. them that change is possible. You've got a problem. Sucks for you. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. Bye. I'm just going to keep sending you lots of value. But now we're going to start uh, positioning them. But, but before we present them with the offer, we're going to show them that change is possible. So that's the way we're going to do that. Yeah. And so what's the first thing to consider here, Carl? I'll put my all my notifications off because everything's buzzing on my laptop. Sure. So in the first email, we brought up the problem. We do not immediately jump to the solution. We're going yeah. to, again, continue to ease our lead. Remember, we're warming them up from um, cold to warm to hot. There's no rush. Yeah? Do, do not rush with this. So we're going to ease them in. We're showing them that change is possible um, before the big reveal. And the big reveal is, spoiler, is coming up in the next email. So. Right. The favorite method that I personally use, and we've used this before, are um, stories. So showing the story of somebody else who has had the problem that the reader has, but then has gone ahead um, and solved that problem. They've got through, they've made it to the other side. You see this a lot in like motivational weight loss videos and health videos about people who are maybe morbidly obese or for some reason they couldn't exercise and they break through and uh, it's an inspirational story. We want that kind of uh, inspiration to show that change is possible and that the person reading, um, reading this particular email knows that change is possible for other people and change can be possible for them. They can solve their particular problem. Mm, so as an example is, you know, we could write in, into this script, we're using Carl's Chinese business here as an example, we could say um, uh, one of the students of Carl, and again, it's important to note here um, before we get started, it doesn't have to, the story doesn't necessarily have to be related to your product. So it doesn't have to be a case study or a testimonial that's directly uh, result of your product so it doesn't have to be that so if you're if you've got a new product you don't have to worry what you need to do is pull stories and examples that very much provide the solution um, or take the customer on, on the change journey and say look there was a solution to their problem but they had to go on change so Carl for example could say um, okay so Haminda visited China twice but every time he goes there, he feels alienated. He doesn't really have any friends because he just couldn't crack the code on how to speak Chinese. So because he was making those mistakes I mentioned in the first blog, now he comes to um, 
uh, this seven hour course or he 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 meets Kyle. Kyle says, look, you've got to try this course, at least do the first two modules. He started to do the first two modules. And as he then revisited China, he had a totally different experience because he was able to connect with friends and people by learning or starting to learn the language. And he had so much more fun there versus going there and feeling alienated, not being able to speak the language. So that's example, a very simplistic example of a change story and what somebody did as part of that change. Now you can get very descriptive in detail with that, but that's just me highlighting an example of based on what we, we are currently talking about within the BBO show, today's particular episode with Carl's Chinese business. Mm-hmm. So just linking back, it doesn't have to be your particular business. Any elaborations on that, Kyle? Yeah. So for example, I've I have a story email in my Chinese sequence where I am talking about somebody's learning journey and I talk about competitors' products um, and the fact that they've used them and those products were really good at doing certain things. So you don't need to say, oh, they're rubbish, that didn't work, then they bought my product and that worked. That's too simplistic, that's too two-dimensional and transparent. Instead, I was able to talk about the competitors' products as compliments, as things that were also useful in that learning journey, but it wasn't really until they got my product they had a like a a full understanding so Mm. you can don't just talk about your product don't just make this a testimonial make it a legitimate true story that you've got from a real person or from yourself you can tell your story if it's inspiring enough um if you are going down the personal branding route um i'm thinking yesterday my girlfriend was making vegan cookies and at the beginning of every single recipe (laughs) Annoyingly, I think this is not very well done, but it could be done well. The author to the vegan cookbook would start with, when I became a vegan, I did, 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 and they would go into the story of like the changes they had made and changes in recipe and their health and stuff like that. It was a bit heavy handed, but I, I could see what they were doing. You can do something similar um, with your own stories where you say, look, I used to be like you. I had these problems, problem A, B, and C. Um, then I made some changes in my life for these reasons, and um, I have now got to the solution. I've now got to the result that I wanted, and I'm here to show you how to do that. Your story is fine as well. Um, I would recommend a, a mix of the two, your story and customer and client stories as well. Mm, absolutely. And at this stage, it's, it's again important to just hammer home is you don't need to hammer home the fact that they need to buy your stuff, your product at this stage. That's not the purpose of this. Instead, we're just trying to show them that, look, you may have a problem, but change is possible. And the way we describe this is via story, because that's very much how we, how our mind works. We can, I could relate, for example, to another person being described within that story and say, oh, if, if change is possible for them, then change must be possible for me. So the objective here is to inspire somebody and show them that it's doable. It's doable via a simple step-by-step process. And we're going to describe these steps within the story naturally as well. And the way we do that to just highlight and emphasize a point is that we want to show that others have done it before and others have had this problem that you have before and others have done it before. Again, what's powerful about this is it is a content piece. It's a story piece. We're not hitting the product sale hard at this stage. Now, however, we move on to the third email, which is where we present them with the solution and we will be going for the sale. That's the that's the important thing. Carl, can you take over? Because I'm going for a toilet break. Oh, okay. <laughs> so the, the coffee, yeah. I, yeah. The third email is going to be the solution. This is where we build upon the foundation that we've just covered. We have the problem statement, we have the changes possible, and then we have uh, the solution. I'm just gonna mute him. There we go. Um, because we've laid the foundation, so now we can actually push hard. The prep's already been done. People are now expecting a solution. They may not consciously be expecting it, but we have prepped them by showing them the problem, showing them changes possible. The next step is simply to say, okay, and this is how you can do it. So. There's a few points we want to hit. Um, This is probably the most complex and the most structured of the emails. um, And I recommend you go and look for uh, examples. Again, we talked about this yesterday and I'm gonna touch on this again today. Um, The objective of this email though, is to show that this product or this service is the solution. And the call to action, the, the thing that we want the people to do when they read the email is to 
click to go to our sales page. Now, we talked about sales pages last week. Um, that would have been shows 30, something like that, 36. Uh, so we talked about sales pages. We can actually pull a lot of the information we need for our sales email from our sales page. If you've already created the sales page, and you should have by now, um, again, that was last week's uh, content, you've done a lot of the groundwork required for this sales email. We can take a lot of the copy that we created from the sales page and put it in the sales email. And remember, the only purpose, the objective of this sales email is to get people to click to go to the sales landing page. That is the objective. Mm, fantastic. So thanks for covering there for a moment. So when when somebody's reading this email and they're presented with the solution, like Carl said, the call to action is going to allow them to click to go to the sales landing page, which conveniently we've already described and explained to you how to do that. So that part of the jigsaw piece is completed. So if you look at this diagram, when I show you the pound sign, that could actually now I can add to that diagram and turn that into a sales landing page. And what's powerful is if we can sync the message on this email with what's on the sales landing page, then we know that they made a decision to click through the sales landing page because of the information on this email. What's powerful is if they see very similar information, not conflicting information on the sales landing page, then it's like there's no disruption to their thought process and that thought process is, okay, I'm ready to purchase this solution. Mm -hmm. If we had... Uh, that if we had the email say X and they saw Y on the sales landing page, they're going to think, mm, okay, this is not, no, no, this is not what I saw in the email, not going to purchase. So we want to make it all succinct. This is also great for us because it's less work. If you've already made the sales page, then you have the copy. You've done the foundations for the sales email. Um, so we do not need to completely rewrite our sales copy. Instead, we remix the sales page for the purpose of the email. Um, mm. Big ones, uh, there's a couple of big points you want to hit inside the email. Um, I'm going to cover them briefly because we talked about these in the sales page. Um, so again, if you missed that, that was last week and it's worth having a look at that. But the big kind of uh, the main sections of this email should be introducing the product or service um, by referring to the problem statement. So remember, we set up that problem statement in email one. Um, we showed the changes possible in email two. In email three, we're saying, hey, yeah, we know you've got this problem, but here's the solution. Um, so we set up the product or service referring back to that problem statement. If you watch last week, this is what we did in the headline and the subheadline, and then also the introduction. Exactly the same in your email. Hmm. So so what we'll be doing is, we're, what we're doing, like Carl said, we're remixing. We're, we're almost simplifying some of the elements on the sales landing page to make them digestible within the email. So the other thing, if you remember from the sales landing page, is now we want to present them with features and benefits. Again, we spoke about that as part of the sales and um, sales um, landing page in detail. So the features and benefits, very simply, the features are what is the product, like a description of the product. And then we blend this with the benefits. Now, the benefits are more important, and that all makes sense when you tune into that particular show. The benefits are how does this impact the person why is this important important to the customer how does it change their life now these are way more important than the features the features are cool some people are interested but really we put, make a purchase on how it impacts our life so for example a benefit of the uh, child uh, carl's chinese language course is you can now connect with your friends in china you can make new friends in china have and have greater bonds across the world versus the feature which is it's you a seven-hour course, for example. That would be a feature. Absolutely. It's a number. It's seven hours, of course, split over 50 videos or whatever it is. Um, that would be the feature. But that doesn't tell you why that's important for you yeah. as a learner. How does that impact me? So that's the second thing, the core thing. Look, you can put some more things in here, but these are the core things you must include at, at standard and some suggestions as standard that can be put within this email. Carl, what else? What's the final thing? So the final one we alluded to already, you need a strong call to action. Your call to action in the email, again, is to send people to the sales page. That's the objective. As long as you manage to do that and they land on the sales page, you're good. 
So make sure there is a strong call to action. Make sure that is repeated a few times in the email, if it's a long email, with an easy way for people to get over to your sales page where you will continue to deliver the sale and move them towards making a purchase. Mm, absolutely. Now we want to talk about, okay, so we've nailed these three components that are essential to go into our email, but now we want to talk about some things that we maybe didn't talk about so much in the introduction because we wanted to keep it um, as bonus elements. Now these bonus elements are talking about two topics which people are aware of, but maybe they don't understand it in detail and how to include it within their email. And that is scarcity and discounting. So let's talk about scarcity first, because we would be including these in our email also. So yes, we've discussed these three core elements, but we may want to introduce scarcity plus an element of discounting. If done right, leads to action. It leads to the lead taking action immediately. And that's one of the core reasons we want to add these bonus elements into today's show. So Carl, scarcity, how do we think about that when when we're talking about email marketing? Sure, it's particularly important in email marketing due to the reasons we talked about on Monday. When we check our emails, which we do 15 times a day apparently, again, I think it's more than that, um, we are often doing it in a rush. We're trying to get through as many emails as possible. We're not necessarily uh, thinking about going and exploring the internet when we're not um, thinking about, oh, I need to buy a Chinese course right now. Instead, we're going through our emails and we need a really good reason um, for, for to, to leave the safety of our emails to go to a website. Um, because right now I'm doing my emails, that's what I'm doing. Mm. Why should I come and look at your sales page? Like that You need a strong, strong reason. Why now? Why drop everything I'm doing and come and look at your page? Um, mm. This is why we use scarcity. Scarcity is a way to break through um, this hesitance to leave the email inbox and to instead come to a landing page, to come to a sales page. Yeah. And the way in which we can do this is, you know, we can leverage mechanisms. For example, is the offer time limited? You know, will this offer expire over time or is this limited in terms of uh, users? Like, is this only available for 100 users or 100 customers and after that we remove this product from the line so that's you know and is you know is it uh, limited in regards to can is it a physical product in that case it's very easy to make limited and we'll talk about digital in a moment but essentially what we're saying is that we need to give them a reason to act now and one mechanism is making it time limited time sensitive um, there's only so many users and that mechanism is very well described as an oversubscribed mechanism, i.e. there's a hundred slots and the first hundred people get it after that, it's no longer available. It's a lot easier with services yeah. for some of these mechanisms. For example, we are coach coaches do this quite often. I'm opening up five slots for coaching clients this month. After that, it's done. Now that sales email is very easy. It goes out and you should hopefully have if you've done everything right in terms of the baton system, you should have 20, 30, 40 people coming to you. So booking those five slots becomes super easy. So Carl, what's the difficulty with digital products? Because it's easy to describe, but what's, you know, services are a lot easier. So one of the great things about digital products is that they're infinitely replicable. Once you create a digital product, um, having one of the digital product or having a hundred thousand to sell of them is exactly the same. There is no scarcity in the production of digital products. That means though, that it's very hard to get away with um, telling your potential customers that, oh, I've only got 50 copies of this ebook left. That's not true. That's a lie. Like you can automatically create more copies of a digital product. Mm. Um, whether it's a video course, whether it's an ebook, uh, if you have one, you have a hundred thousand, you have a million, it can be duplicated with no additional cost. Um, if you've printed a physical book, on the other hand, if you printed a thousand copies, then you have a thousand copies. You have a thousand copies to sell. Once all a thousand have been sold, that's it. So don't miss the boat. Make sure you buy now. We're tapping into people's FOMO, uh, fear of missing out here. No. Uh, with uh, ebook, though, that scarcity does not exist. Um, I cannot say I've only got a thousand to sell. It's disingenuous. Mm. Unless, unless you genuinely, and this is where the debate is, unless you say, 
genuinely I'm only making this ebook available and then I'm going to take it off the store or I'm taking it down and may think about reintroducing it, you know, in six months time or whatever you want to do. So one of the questions that often come up is, can you fake scarcity? Can you create scarcity within your product range, whether it's fake, whether it's just a statement, or actually can you do it in the way I just said, which is you make genuine scarcity decisions knowing that you're going to get an influx of customers off the back of it so that's one way to do this in terms of fake scarcity what's your thoughts on that kyle i mean a lot of people do it yeah online in particular and in email marketing um lots of people use it and it works really really well um if you run a sale for example um or if you you have an email campaign and it's for a week and each day you're saying, hey, come buy this, come buy this, come buy this, come buy this. They will not buy until the end of the week. Um, let's say you run it Monday to Friday. And on Monday, you announce the offer. Tuesday, you talk about it a bit more. Wednesday, you talk about it a bit more. And each time you're saying, hey, come and buy this, come buy this. They will not buy until the Friday. Um, and uh, at the last possible moment, that's when people come and buy because they realize, oh, this is about to get taken away. Um, so scarcity is extremely powerful. And this is why people do want to use it all the time even if it is faked um from a marketing point of view it works it works really well uh it depends on your own personal comfort with introducing scarcity um mm. what you just said though harms i think is fair if you just say uh, outright if you say look i'm selling a thousand copies of it and that's it um i'm taking it off after that and then you go ahead and take your product off the market after that that is genuine scarcity it's just you have decided it um yeah, it's manufactured yeah. scarcity. It's like you manufacture it, it's intentional scarcity, which is fine. Um, but then you have to see see it through as well. Yeah. So that's scarcity. Now, one way which we can make scarcity even more powerful. Now, this also stands alone, but it is a way to bypass the fake scarcity. And that is by using the mechanism of discounting. And that's essentially selling your product at a special price for whatever reason. And it could be you know, it could be a special link to a special sales page, which has a cheaper version of your product. It could be a coupon. It could be just say, here's a 10, 10% flash discount, which is going to last for a month. Or this is a, uh, companies do this a lot, especially in the clothing industry, which is 10% flash sale this weekend only. Okay, so that's, that's pairing discounted or with scarcity. So they can't fake the scarcity in terms of, uh, these t-shirts are going to run out of stock. Some companies do that, but say if you're Next or your H&M, it's very difficult for them to do because they've got a ridiculous amount of stock that they carry. But in terms of clothing, the way they can do that is they can add a discount offer with that. I'm just thinking um, clothing as an example, arbitrary example. So discounting is one mechanism. Well, it's it's a very standard tactic mm. used by nearly, well, all retailers, I would say, and online as well. Um, so I do this with my Chinese courses. So they are digital courses. So it's kind of hard to say, oh, I've only got a thousand copies, but I do have discounts. Um, so I would discount around Chinese New Year because people are thinking about Chinese. Um, it's just more kind of in the zeitgeist. It's a good time to sell. And also around New Year's as well. I'm sorry, the Western New Year, because people have New Year's resolutions and one of them tends to be, oh, I'm going to learn a language. Um, so there's a lot of people who want to learn Chinese in January. Um, so. Okay. Those are, yes, they're time limited, but they're mainly based on discounts for a certain amount of time. Yeah, so that that bypasses, like I said before, the fake scarcity and the need to do that. If you tag discounts with it, then you can continue to sell your unlimited digital products because they are limited. But the scarcity mechanism is at this moment in time for a limited time period, you can get this at a discount. Yep. After that, it's gonna go back to its normal retail price of whatever that is. So that's a really good mechanism. However, we should be careful with this um, because naturally people, you, you're not the only one presenting them with an offer. So in their inbox, they're going to have 50% off, 75% off, 25% off. And what they will start to see and what I think what customers are now very aware of is that things are never sold at full price because people know that, that discounts are always available loads of companies are discounting um and i think this is a a cool place where some companies 
position themselves where they never discount. And I think they, that's a really good pricing strategy, but you, it has to be aligned with your customers and, and the fact that customers are, are happy with paying for this. They see the value in that. And if you discount it, they're going to say, they're going to walk away from the product. So I love that pricing strategy. <clears throat> I mean, Apple, be careful. Apple, the only one I can think of, Apple don't give discounts. Is that right? Apple don't get discounts. Companies like, you know, this gaming uh, keyboard, I've got Razer, really. Now, Razer definitely do discounts. They do? Okay, yeah, so they uh, have Black Friday. Because this, this is a problem. Um, consumers or customers get trained that they should never buy anything at full price. Uh, Udemy is a really good example of this. Udemy is an online learning platform where you upload your courses and people can buy your courses. Students can buy your courses. Um, nothing is ever purchased at full price there. Uh, so you can upload it for 200 pounds and it will get purchased for 10 pounds because Udemy are running sales constantly. Um, and I've looked at the stats for this, nothing gets sold at retail because 100% of the user base, they know exactly that they just have to wait a few days and they'll be able to get whatever they want for you know, a fraction. So that's an example of a customer base that's been trained never to buy anything unless it's discounted. Mm -hmm, absolutely. So I think Apple is the only thing I can think of as well. Um, if I do think of anything else, I'll let you know in the Slack group. Mm. So this, so just an important note here as well is this is not the same as uh, seasonal or time-based selling. So it's not like uh, we're not discussing, this is only available for the Christmas holidays kind of thing. Mm. Remember, this is a campaign. This is an automated campaign, which can run all year round, regardless of when somebody signs up. So we should ignore my example from earlier. So when I do the Chinese New Year sales, that's kind of a one-off. What we're talking about now is a campaign which everybody gets in sequence. Um, so mm. that's my fault. I shouldn't have talked about the Chinese stuff. <laughs> well, it's a good because now we can have a contrasting example. So mm -hmm. Carl's is an example of seasonal. But alongside that, he'll have campaigns that run regardless of what's happening out there in the world, any time of year. So if somebody, if John signs up on the 4th, 4th of March, Jane signs up on the 7th of September, they're both going to receive the same campaign, nurture emails, and then these same sales emails. And that's what we want to do. That's how we want to do it. So let's think of scarcity and discounted or a combination of the two. By using this, we're creating... And the purpose and the objective of this is to get somebody to act right now. That action is to go to your sales landing page and make a purchase. The actual particular action in the email, however, is for them to go to the sales landing page. That's what we will, that's what we want. That's the objective here. And scarcity discounting help that process massively. It's a, it works. It's a proven system. It's, it's uh, powerful in terms of psychology. And if done genuinely, it's a legit way to, to get people to act within your email database and within this particular email marketing campaign. So that is us describing scarcity and discounting as the final two things that should be included in your sales email, especially the last final one where we present them with the solution. Now we want to talk about the next thing, which is going to be on everybody's minds, but we're going to shift now the focus in terms of we told you what to do, what to include in these emails. Now we want to talk about creating the emails and the common objections we get when either working with clients or their things they're worried about or things they're concerned about. And we want to discuss those with you as well. So we should hopefully alleviate some of those email marketing questions in advance. So the first question is, how do we actually go ahead and create the emails? So Carl, how do we do that? Okay. So as we mentioned before, for each and every product or service in your, uh, in your value ladder, um, you want to have at least these three emails in place. So it's the problem, the uh, changes possible email and the solution email. Now this sounds like a lot of work, um, depending on how many products and services you have. But remember, we create these three emails once, and then they will continue to run forever. So as mentioned, if Jane signs up in March, and John signs up in May, they're going to receive the same emails are going to receive the separate uh, the same mini series of these three sales emails regardless of when they sign up so creating these emails is a big investment how do we actually write them though we could give you generic templates of sales emails there are plenty of them out there 
um, and then you just fill in your product name, feature one, feature two, why you should buy now, etc. There are these templates where you can just fill in the blanks. Um, the problem is they're extremely generic. So again, like yesterday, we went through a process yesterday of how to pull together examples, samples of great emails, uh, great marketing emails into something we called a swipe file. Um, and then we use this swipe file of examples, of models, plus our own personality, plus the own, our own value that we're bringing to the table, plus the customer stories, for example, in the second email. We pull all of this together and use this to write the actual content of our emails. So the process is exactly the same as what we went through yesterday with the nurture emails. Mm, absolutely. So all we're doing here is we're leveraging all of the fantastic email marketers and businesses who are great at writing these emails. We're just building and leveraging off that model and then adding our own personalization, brand, story, um, personal appeal to that particular email copy, the copywriting. So that's the key. So we don't have to reinvent this from scratch. There's some amazing examples out there. If you're unsure or you're stuck or you're like, okay, where can I get some swipe files from, then come and talk to me and Carl in the Slack group, and then we can send you a few links to get started. Alternatively, go check out yesterday. We talk about this in detail. Yeah, very importantly, it's not copying. We're not just copying their emails. We Again, we talked about this in great detail yesterday about the creative process. Um, so go and check that. Mm, absolutely. Definitely not copying. That's not allowed. It's very much a case of modeling, looking also, at the best practices, and then building from that. It also won't work. It's not effective. So if you want to build your business, don't copy. There yeah. are better ways to do it. Absolutely. <laughs> don't be um, lazy. <laughs> so now let's answer some more questions. And these are typical objections that we get. And they're useful questions. There are useful questions that you may be asking right now. They may be floating around in your head. And it's good to go through these because they reveal more about the nature of email marketing. So we described some of these things on Monday, but now you've started to go through the process, some more technical questions may come out, which are extremely useful. And it starts to paint the picture in regards to what happens next or what happens if this happens. Mm -hmm. So we're going to answer three of the most common questions that we get from clients, people who come and talk to us, which is, Number one, they, the customers have received these emails and they receive the sales emails. And what if they don't buy? Do I give up and do I stop selling to them? So that's one question. Question number two is, what if they do buy? What do I do then? Is that all I do? Is that it for now? Uh, am I happy with that sale and I leave them alone? Number three, how can I keep sending sales emails without pissing people off? Now, this is a really powerful question as well. So we'll address that at the end. So let's kick off with question number one. What if they don't buy? Do I give up? Um, and the short answer is absolutely not. Um, the What's the longer answer, Kyle? So, yeah, absolutely not is the right answer um, here. Once you have somebody's email, you have permission to talk to them. Um, you have both legal permission um, to talk to them so you're not spamming them anymore and from a marketing point of view you have something uh, we call permission which is uh, a term coined by uh, Seth Godin we have uh, we're involved in permission marketing they've said to us hey I'm interested in what you do I'd like to hear more so they've opted in um, and we can continue to talk to them if you have the solution to their problem if you are confident in your products and your service and the fact that you can help them to solve the problem that you have identified they have, then why should you stop trying to give them this solution? Maybe they're not ready to buy right now for whatever reason, that's fine. Um, we will continue to deliver content through our nurturing emails. We continue to send them blog posts and podcasts and videos. Uh, we continue to talk to them on social media and we continue to interact and provide value. Mm. Um, then late, maybe later, they will be willing to buy. They will be ready to buy. They'll be in a different place. And in terms of buying, uh, it's a really good point, Carl. In terms of buying, what we can do, and this is a bit more advanced, a bit more complex, but we're just it's useful to be aware of this at the moment. You may be sending them a product which is has a £50 price tag or a £100 price tag or £200 price tag. They may not be ready to purchase at that level, at that particular price point. So what we can then do is... If they don't 
if they decide not to purchase the £50 offer, we can take them down what we call a down sale funnel. We can then down escalate them, you know, allow them to take a step back and say, okay, in the short version, very simple version, £50 was too expensive. Maybe you need to enter at something like £5 or £10. So we can still make the sale after nurturing them. But what we do is we make a different kind of sale. That's more advanced, but it's a form of us saying, look, we're not giving up. We Maybe this offer is not right for this customer. This particular solution priced at £50 is not what they need right now. They need something that is £10. So we don't give up. They're here. They've given us permission for a reason. And it's our job now to serve them with that solution. Yep. So that's question number one. What if they don't buy? Do I give up? Hopefully you have the answer for that now. And the short answer is absolutely not. We never give up. They came to us for a solution and we'll do our best to present them with that solution. Amidst all of the craziness and the noise out there, they trusted us. Hence why we're landing in their inbox. So that's important. Now, the second question is, what if they do buy? Is that it? What happens then? So, Carl, what if they do make a purchase? What it doesn't matter how much it is, etc. But what if they do make a purchase? What happens then? Mm. So here's a big question that people ask us clients, especially is like, well, do I stop sending them sales emails at this point? And the answer is yes and no. So yes, we do stop sending them the specific emails um, related to the um, the product they've already purchased. There's no need. They've already bought it. Why would we continue to send them? email saying, hey, you should buy this. Uh, it's just going to annoy them because they already have it and it doesn't help us in any way. And no, we do not send, stop sending them other emails. We're going to start sending them emails about different products, different services. These are either complementary products, mm. um, which would be a cross sell. So you bought this and here's something that's similar price point that we think you'd also be interested in. Or we're going to upsell. So you bought something at £50, we have something at £150 that we think would be even more useful as an upsell. Mm. And again, this is again another advanced comment I'm making, but our email autoresponder, which we described on Monday, can do this for us automatically. So for example, if somebody made a purchase in this particular campaign, let's call it campaign X, and they made the purchase, they get then removed from that campaign and can get added to another campaign, campaign Y, automatically. Campaign Y could be a cross-sell, an upsell, and that's the key. And it all happens automatically. And then this is, hopefully you're thinking as a business owner, holy shit, this is really powerful because what I can do is I can have a line, a product line here, and I can now cross-sell and upsell all automatically. The hard work is done in advance because the assumption is you have the products built, which is handled in the business part of the baton model. Now it's a very much a case of actually selling these items to customers who have given up their, given us permission to market to them. So that's important. Beyond the scope of this week's course, but if you are in a position where you're like, actually, I've got a whole bunch of offers priced at a whole bunch of different price points, and I haven't implemented this down automatic downsell, cross-sell funnel within my e email autoresponder, or I don't even know how to do that, then come and chat to myself and Kyle in the Slack group and we can hopefully point you in the right direction. So that's the second question answered. What if they do buy? That's a great thing. Is that it? Yes and no, as Kyle has described. The final question, the objection that we get is how do we maintain this level of sales? Because one of the challenges is, okay, well, what if I made a flurry of sales? I sold to 10 people as an example. Is that it? Like, how do I continue to maintain this? How do I turn this into 10 people a day or 10 people a week or 100 people a month regularly and consistently? So Carl, what's the what's the thinking or what's the way we talk to clients when they ask us this question? Sure. So it's connected to the first two. Um, we will continue, we'll always continue to send emails, um, sales emails. And I know it sounds like a lot of sales. It sounds like we're hard pressing people to buy, 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 buy all the time. How do we make sure we don't um, annoy them? How do we not piss them off and make them unsubscribe or mark us as spam? Now, there's a couple of answers here. The first answer is value. We are continuing to deliver our nurture campaigns. Uh, we talked about three emails initially um, to onboard people, to get people started with the value delivery. If you are continuing to make more and more and more sales, you need to also um, deliver more and more value. Mm. You can't just... Um, deliver 10 sales in a, in a row, you need to also be delivering 
uh, consummate levels, an equal level of value alongside that so that you have the, uh, the right to also send sales emails. So what's the what's a good ratio that somebody can consider when thinking about, okay, you're telling me I need to do nurture, content, value emails, mm-hmm. but at the same time I can continue selling. What should be a, a rule of thumb here? Sure. Uh, four to one is what we normally use. Three to one is also okay. So that means four to one would be for every four content-based emails, you can have one sales email. Um, and that's mm-hmm. a good r- rule of thumb. Yeah. And now the second way to consider answering this question about how do we make sure we don't piss people off? How do we maintain this level of sales is the flip side discussion, which is, look, if someone's been on our list for a while and they're not going to buy despite us having delivered massive value, you know, we've sent them this chain of value. In Carl's example, 20 nurture emails, Ty Lopez, truckloads examples, or even as simple as this ratio is four to one. And even then they don't buy, then the hard truth is, and this is something that clients very much don't like to hear, or if you have your own email database, and sometimes I'm just like, oh, no, 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 why why would we want to do this? Which is, we don't want them on our email list. That's the fact. Because people on our email list, yes, we can nurture them, but also we want them to make a purchase. We want them to be as part of our list because we have the solution to their problem Outside that, we just don't want them on our list. Simple as that. Because what's the, what, how does this affect in regards to our email database? But also, you know, there's no real point, right? If they're not going to make a purchase. So, yeah, people do not like this, but you need to get those people. So, clients do not like us saying this, but you need to get those uh, email subscribers off your list. If they have received 50 emails from you, they've been offered sales of decreasing price points. And if they've still not made a purchase, they're probably not going to make a purchase um, at all, ever. If they haven't read the last 20 emails that you've sent them, uh, they're not engaged. Hmm. Why why are they going to buy anything? Um, So what we do is we, it's called list hygiene. It's a really weird, uh, (laughs) really weird phrase. We practice list hygiene. It's basically going in every three months, six months, a year, and purging emails is deleting emails of people who are not um, engaging and not making purchases. The reason we do this is if we're sending out 10,000 emails and um, let's say nine, or we're sending out 100,000 emails and uh, 95,000 of the people on that email list are not engaging, we're going to have a really low open rate. We're going to have a really low click-through rate, and that is going to impact our email deliverability. That's going to impact um, what Gmail thinks about our emails because the majority of our emails are not being read. The majority are being deleted. Um, that's a bad sign. That makes us look like spammers. So we need mm-hmm. to get rid of the people um, who are not interested in what it is we're having to sell. And, and and that's the key. Um, there's no point talking and presenting to people who don't want to hear what you have to say. That's that's not the purpose of this. The purpose of this is people within our tribe, and we're going to expand on this in the BBO show, but people within our tribe should like, know, and trust us and want to hear from us, want to hear what offers we have, what we're presenting, what we're promoting, and they're excited to buy. We want to get an email list that are excited to buy, and that's the key. And I'd much rather have a an engaged list of a thousand people who will open, they'll read, they'll um, interact with the content, they'll make purchases rather than a list of a hundred thousand, which is dead um, and nobody opens anything. It's much better to have a high quality, um, even if it's a lower quantity list. If you just want to keep the big list, even though they're not interacting uh, for the sake of having a big list, that's it's a vanity metric at that point. It does not help you build the business. Yeah, it's like living in a big house and you only actually spend time in one room. Mm. You know, it's just it's just cool. Yeah, cool. You've got a list of 100,000, 900,000, a million people. Uh, but how yeah. many of those purchase what you have to sell? How many people open the email? And all of this data is presentable and visible. So hopefully that answers the question, which is how do we maintain this level of sales? And we've given you two versions, two kind of thought process to think about. One is continue delivering value and then present them with a the sale every so often. And the other one, which is if they don't want to buy, cool. Then they we get rid of them out of the list uh, in a kind way because they don't want to they don't want to hear from us, um, and we don't want them to mess up our email uh, system either. So 
that's it. You know, we've covered a lot today in regards to helping you build your sales emails, helping you write them, what should they include, uh, in which order you should present them in. And we focused very much on three basic emails, which highlight problem. The next individual email shows them the change process is possible. It's an inspirational email. Then the final one is we present them with the solution and that solution is the product that we have to offer. Ideally, a low entry cost product, especially if it's the first time you're presenting to this particular audience within your email marketing um, system. So that's important within this particular campaign. And remember, this is the sales email, which comes after the nurture email campaign. We talked about this yesterday. Now we're presenting them with the sale using this mechanism. How do you go and create those emails? Well, go and explore the swipe file um, mechanism. Go look at some great examples already built out there in the world and then turn this and customize this and personalize this to your own particular product and brand and, and personal appeal. So that's important. We gave you some two bonus tips, which was add in scarcity and discounts if necessary. Um, they will help people act now. It will help them make the decision to act now, and that's powerful. And then finally, we discussed three common objections that we get around the topic of email marketing. So hopefully you've got some good insights and information there. So that's it from today. That's it from the BBO show. Tomorrow, we are talking about lead magnets. So I've got these numbers. So we're working in reverse order. Tomorrow, we're talking about lead magnets, which is a gift in which you give somebody in exchange for them giving you their email address. It makes the whole process easier and uh, makes it a friendlier process. So that's it from us today. Remember three things, and I've got to remember these three things. Number one, subscribe to the BBO show. If you want to read, hear anything that we've got to say from the BBO show in terms of show notes, that is available at bbo.show. You just type that in, bbo.show, into your phone or your laptop or whatever, and then the web page appears. So you'll see the show notes there. You can even watch the show there if you prefer watching it via a web player. Lots of catch-up shows. Everything we've done is actually there. And finally, don't forget to join us and talk to us in the Slack group. That's completely free. That link is also in the description below. Slack will ask for your email. Outside that, we don't get your email. It's just a way for you to connect and chat to myself and Kyle about everything we talk about in the BBO show, your burning questions in a focused place where we can get you a response super, super quick. And that's it for today. So myself and Kyle shall see you tomorrow.